You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The sun, the moon, a New York castle, and St. Joe. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Sean Chandler, and you're listening to Your Program is Your Ticket, a discussion of smaller theater works and the people and organizations that make it happen. Today's guests are Billy Anderson, Artistic Director of Shakespeare Downtown, and Jeffrey Horn, Director of their new production of St. Joan, which features Billy in the role of Joan of Arc. Billy and Jeffrey are part of my Theater is for Everyone series, where I'm interviewing theater artists outside of the major locales and influences to give them a chance to be heard, discuss their work selection and production processes while touching on their triumphs, challenges, and misconceptions. The mission of Shakespeare Downtown is to encourage an interest in classical theater, by staging free outdoor performances at Castle Clinton at the Battery in New York, audience members experience the plays how they were originally intended to be done in Shakespeare's Globe Theater 400 years ago, in the open air, in the round, on the water. Please keep in mind that our interviews are recorded at different times to optimize schedules, just in case the audio sounds different. I'm super excited, so let's bring them on. Hi, Billy and Jeffrey, and welcome to Your Program is Your Ticket. Hi. Hello. <laughs> Hi. Thank you so much for taking time out of your like really super busy schedule right now to be on the show. I think it's I think what you're doing is really really super cool and I think that it really does emphasize the message that theater is for everyone and should be available to everyone. So, why don't we have you two start by introducing yourselves? Tell us about your background and then we'll talk a little bit about Shakespeare Downtown. Jeffrey, Billy, do you want to go, go first? No, you start, Billy. <laughs> um, my name is Billy Anderson. Um, I'm an actress, and uh, I'm the co-founder with Jeffrey of Shakespeare Downtown. And um, uh, I'm, I'm from Birmingham, Alabama. Um, I, went, I came up here to go to Barnard College, and then I went to Strasburg uh, to study, and um, I met Jeffrey, who was my teacher. <laughs> and then... Uh, um, so I studied at Strasbourg, and I also studied with William Esper. And um, then uh, we did a lot of plays at the school, and then um, we founded Shakespeare Downtown down at the Battery uh, in Lower Manhattan. Cool. Jeffrey? Oh, uh, okay. My, um, I grew up in Cuba uh, and um, came to the United States when I was 14 for school, and I graduated from college. It took me four different colleges to finish college. Uh, somehow, um, but I ended up in New York. I decided I wanted to be an actor. I have no idea why. And I found Lee Strasberg by accident. That was just an accidental thing. I had never heard of him uh, uh, 
And uh, that's changed my life. That man changed my life. And I was an actor for a few years. I did some things. Uh, and then I failed as an actor. And at one point, I was having a little revival of, of my career in my 40s. And Lee Strasberg asked me if I wanted to teach. And I discovered that that's really what I always had wanted to do, is to teach. Uh, 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 my wife gives me credit as co-founder of Shakespeare Downtown. <laughs> but in truth, it's all her. She did all of it. Yeah. But wow. he is he yeah. is the director and uh, he is the teacher of of all of everyone uh, in the cast. And he says about his career, but he was in Bridge on the River Kwai and Bonjour Tristesse, and he did in, on Broadway. And so he he's not exactly a failure as an actor the way he tells it. <laughs> yes, I read I read your resume and in, in your uh, a blurb on the website and. I'm I'm really impressed with you. Not that you, not that you need my approval or me to be impressed, but I but I actually am. As a matter of fact, I have kind of a a bit of a small, minor, like third party fangirl question for you about. But we'll go into that later. <laughs> okay. Um, now, before we start, Billy, I have to apologize publicly for misspelling your name in the introduction part of the script. I'm so oh, sorry. Okay. That's okay. Don't worry about it. Don't worry. About it. And her, her name is spelled B I L L I E, and I oh, spelled it B I L. And you know why? Probably because that that was my dad's name. So oh, it was. Oh, I see. So like, yeah. So it was probably just by row. <laughs> and then also, I have to I have to say, I love this room that you're in. It is like covered in books. I love reading, and it, there's so many books there. How many books do you think are on that bookshelf? We have thousands and thousands of books. I, I we this is our apartment. Jeffrey, who was my acting teacher, uh, later soon after he became my husband. So this is our apartment. <laughs> it's red long. though. It's beautiful, isn't it? And it's, he didn't want gorgeous. it, but I wanted to see everything red. It's gorgeous. I mean, and I'm not one of those people who, like, my husband is great in walking in and picking out various things in a room. Or he's super like like visually artistic, I not so much. So if I'm noticing it, it is, it is aces. And that's just because of the fact that that's usually not in my mind. So, um, so I love it. Okay. Question. Are you, are you e-reader people or real book people or both? I only read regular books. Jeff, are you read on I your eye? I, well, uh, my eyesight is not as good as it was. And, uh, uh, so the books are a little bit more difficult. And also, there's we have when I get new books, we have no room left. You can see that. We have no room <laughs> left. There's book, there are books all over the floor. You can't see them. There are books everywhere. And so the, when I get new books, it's always on e, uh, e-books. Uh, it just it has to be. Uh, we have just tons of art books. I wish you could see them, but there's no way we could show those. Uh, and they're wonderful art books. And those, of course, those are wonderful. Those are great. That's a big part of our lives fabulous yeah I've, i'd high five you jeffrey because i'm the same as i get older like my vision is just gone and and so i, I like the e-reader because i can i can um increase the font so that the letters are like i don't know three quarters of an inch and sure. I can read it. <laughs> yes and, and, and then i love the light behind it so yeah anyways okay uh tell us about shakespeare downtown talk about your mission statement um well when we for I, it was my um, obsession really to have a theater, and um, we had 
done plays at Strasbourg because Jeffrey's been teaching there uh, close to 40 years. And Anna Strasbourg, the widow of Lee Strasbourg, uh, and her sister Victoria, who runs a school, allowed us to do plays at Strasbourg for 10 years. And so it was almost like we had a almost a little, like a little theater company within the school. They have a 99, two 99-seat theaters. And so I was very obsessed with um, finding... Uh, I wanted to have a, a theater. And so I, I guess this is sort of... The mission statement comes out of how it's a little bit... The mission statement is to encourage an interest in classical theater. But uh, one night we lived down in, the lower, in lower Manhattan at the South Street Seaport... And I was walking along the East River Esplanade, which uh, Mayor Bloomberg made beautiful for everyone in New York. And I saw the castle, Castle Clinton. I don't know if you know it. It's an open-air fort um, where people, now they use it to buy tickets to the Statue of Liberty. And I was walking very late at night alone. And I saw it. And we had done um, Romeo and Juliet at the school. It was the first time I had done Shakespeare. And that wasn't very good. I, I hadn't. And so then uh, I saw it and I thought, it's perfect for the Capulets. And so <laughs> I started, it was three years of working day and night to make it happen. And so the mission statement is to encourage an interest in classical theater because uh, acting has meant so much to me. That's great. Um, it, it sounds like it, 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 when you found that venue, it sort of added to and, and enriched what you really wanted to do because it's an outdoor venue. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason why I'm, I'm saying this is because oftentimes when I'm interviewing people, they'll say, I, I was limited. I didn't have much of a budget. I didn't have people offering me theaters mm-hmm. and they'll find something and it will be, they'll think, I, I don't know what to do with this. And they will make it work. And as a result of that, they come up with the most incredible, beautiful, genius ideas. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, it, it, it kind of sounds like uh, everything came together and that really sort of helped with, it, uh, to, to progress your mission statement. Am I, am I right on that? It, it was, uh, there's no possible place that could be better. Uh, really, it, it's a, a, a paradise. Like the, the Battery Conservancy has, it's a beautiful, beautiful gardens and like no one knows about it. And we have this wonderful old fort that no one knows about. Really, in Manhattan, like, no one. I didn't even know we live here. And and it's in the round. It's on the water. It's open air. I mean, there's just really, I don't know how it could be. I, I, I adore Joe Papp and what he did in Central Park. He, I, I think he's the most wonderful person ever. But now we have this wonderful thing for lower Manhattan, like a, like a Shakespeare in the park. So it, it was it was a gift from God that I saw it. It really was. It was very, very cool. Yeah, I live in Hell's Kitchen, and I had I had not heard of it. But I've David and I have only lived in in New York for about seven years, and of course, two of those years we were pretty much in our apartment the entire time. Yes, COVID nineteen. Yes. So, uh, so yeah. But there's there's still. I always tell myself, get out of the apartment and go see something, Sean. And sometimes I do it. Sometimes. Um, <laughs> You have an uh, an upcoming production of Saint Joan. How exciting! Talk about that. Um, Jeffrey, do you want to say something about it? Or well, uh, it's a beautiful play. I saw it years and years ago when I was very young. I don't think I was out of college yet. Uh, 
with Uta Hagen playing St. Joan and a wonderful young actor, John Buckmaster, playing the Dauphin. And uh, it, it left a, a, a strong impression with me. And I'd read the play when I was in school, uh, but I never thought about doing it. And actually, it was Billy who said, I want to do St. Joan. And at first I thought, oh, it's impossible. It's a huge cast. We'll never manage to find all the people. Well, it turned out she was right. Uh, we have a wonderful cast, really wonderful cast. Men, not all of whom were my students, but almost all at one time or another. And so sometimes it's difficult at the school to get uh, actors who are old enough to play the older parts. But we do have actors that are mature, let's say, playing the older parts. And uh, so I'm very grateful for that. It's a wonderful play. It's a really beautiful play. Um, beautiful play. Cool. Okay, Jeffrey, now that I have you on the hook, this isn't my fangirl question, but okay. I, you, you both have like such a wide variety of training with all of these incredible legendary teachers. And now you're a teacher yourself. Um, do you, do you prescribe to any sort of a teaching style of any one particular teacher that you've had, or have you taken all the best elements of it together and put together your style of teaching and, and, and the curriculum that you teach? Well, Lee Strasberg was a genius. He was a great teacher. He, he was, after all, also a, a great director. He founded the group theater with, with his associates. Uh, and so he was inspiring. He, I took a directing class with him also back in the 50s. I was a baby, uh, but I did take a class with him. Um, and I'd also, but in college, I had a great Shakespearean teacher, John Barton, who was the co-founder with Peter Hall of the Royal Shakespeare Company. That was just a miracle that he came to California to UC Berkeley to teach. I, what, we never found out why he ever went there, but he did, spent a year there. And I learned about Shakespeare from him more than anyone else. And uh, I spent quite a bit of my teaching time teaching Shakespeare, which has been a huge uh, pleasure for me. Uh, but basically, what Lee Strasberg taught us when, uh, told us when we became teachers, all of us who became teachers, he said, uh, stress your own uh, strengths, whatever it is you're good at. Uh, so it, it, he didn't want us to follow him, imitate him, do it exactly the way he taught. Uh, but basically, uh, his work was based on Stanislavski's work. And so my work is based on Lee Strasberg's work, which is based on Stanislavski's work. So basically, I would say that's what kind of teacher I am. Oh, cool. The method. Uh, <laughs> the method, yes. The method. Yes. That's the method. <laughs> now, now, it's been a long time since I've been in acting class. I've taken a few acting classes, mostly because I'm a writer and I like to have empathy for the actors and make sure that what I'm asking them to do is not insane, which I sort of like push that line quite a bit with my writing. Um, but is, is the method is still uh, the actor sets a goal and then outlines intentions throughout the script or the story that uh, progress to that goal. And then there's a lot of uh, like uh, biography work, autobiography work uh, to create the backstory is, is is that still how the method? Again, this is like probably thirty years ago ago when I took a method class. Is that how it works still? Uh, well, I, I think it's interesting that as a writer you want to take classes. Martin Scorsese will put himself in a movie because he says I have to remind myself how humiliating it is <laughs> to be an actor. 
and uh, uh, so that it makes it makes him be kinder to the actors when they're struggling a little bit. I like that. And Hitchcock, of course, put himself into the movies a lot, but that was maybe for a different reason. Uh, You're here, yeah, right. <laughs> it's it's hard to de- define in a simple way the method. Uh, I would hesitate. I whenever I try to define it, I, I'm afraid Lee Strasberg can hear me and is saying, "No, Jeffrey, that's not it. I never taught you that." Uh, um, I think maybe the simplest way of saying it, as I as I understand it, is that, that we use ourselves to create the character. There's uh-huh. no fixed character that's just one thing that every actor has to step into the shoes of that character. But each actor brings himself to it or herself to it. Uh, no St. Joan is going to be, this Saint, Billy St. Joan is not going to be like Uta Hagen St. Joan. I mean, they couldn't be more different, these two women. And so how could it possibly be the same? And yet it's a part that suited Uta Hagen when she was young, and it's a part that suited Billy beautifully. Uh, and Judy Dench has played, uh, and she couldn't be more different from Billy, and yet she was a wonderful St. Joan. Uh, there have been so many of them, uh, and each one has to be different. And so the ideal of the method, the idea of the method, I suppose, is that each actor has to bring themselves to the part. Wow. So you you sort of read the 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 play and get an or the script and get an essence of the character, and then you start. This is Billy. This is more directed to you. So you read the play, yeah. you get an essence of the character, and then do you start comparing? Like I'm like her, like this, or or him, or or them. Um, I'm I'm different than this. Uh, not not people who have played it before, but just of the character on the page. Is it? Is that how you start? Um, well, not really. Like, um, because I've been, from the beginning, working with Jeffrey, like, he taught me from the very beginning. I knew nothing of acting. I'd never seen a play, so I had no no idea. I had wrong ideas, but I had no understanding. And I do have to say, like, even though Jeffrey will make up thing, Jeffrey... And, and is the best acting teacher in this country. And Bill Esper was the other one, the other teacher I studied with who he sent me to. But seriously, he's the best acting teacher. So when you start out in acting class, um, you start, like you do a read, read something in front of the class and you start to, you start with the parts that move you emotionally. They, they could be on the outside, not like you. And then, you know, as you train more, you, you, you can expand that. So when I read Joan, when I, I, I read it aloud to him, but, I, you know, I've read it to my, you know, uh, I felt an emotional connection to the part. And so um, I never think of other actresses because it has nothing to do with me. Uh, I only think of the character. And then um, when I start to work on it, um, I, when I go over the script, you, you, you know, acting is a craft. And so I've spent a lot of time studying. You learn how to bring your emotional experiences that mean a lot to you so much that they're more important than the audience or anything else, your fear. And then you, you write them in the script and you start to um, learn it with the lines so that you, if you could have anything or I could have anything, it would be to be alive every moment of the play. So it's, that's the goal. It, that's cool because I'll be honest with you. Um, 
when I'm watching um, a, a performance, I, I can tell when the actor is really trying to connect with the audience. And I am more impressed when the actor is up there letting go and, and, and releasing and, and just not really so much, well, kind of caring about the audience, but that's not their paramount concern. They just, they're just letting the character out of them. And uh, that to me is when I, as, as uh, a patron, a viewer, uh, an audience member really connect when they honestly, when it, when it feels like they just don't care, they're just being the person. Uh-huh. And so I think that's a, an awesome answer. And I think that that's uh, such a, a great way to approach it in, in my opinion. And, you know, I just thought of that as you were telling me that. So oh, I've learned. Sean, I just thought, excuse me, Sean, I just thought of, of a way of, ex- of explaining where you made me think of it. If, if the actor has an experience on the stage, then the audience will have an experience also. But if the totally. actor does not have a real experience and just pretends to have an experience, I feel the audience is getting cheated. They're paying $100 for a ticket nowadays to see a Broadway play. And if, if you don't walk out of the theater as something has changed in you, you've had some real experience, you've been robbed. Yeah, that's how I feel. I agree. And that feels like... Um... In a way, it feels like alchemy or even like a trick, because obviously you you have to think of audience psychology. So there's thinking of that and letting go at the same time. It's it, it feels like it could be very uh, uh, tricky, and you need a lot of training to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Is that I mean, is that am I Absolutely. saying that right? I'm Absolutely. I'm, not, I'm not I'm not the best actor in the world, or even a good <laughs> actor. But so I, I I'm always really interested in in people's processes and, mm-hmm. and how it, it appears to me as an audience member. So I don't know. I'm always just trying to learn if I possibly can. Um, how do you select the projects that you do, the productions? What, what are your criteria? Do you, is, is it pretty much preset years in advance or do you have a, a group that, that gets together? Um, talk about that. Um, well, because, uh, I mean, Jeffrey is the director and our teacher, but I do everything else. So, like, uh, when you have a theater, um, you know, when you apply for grants, they want to know years in advance, usually, like, two years in advance. And, like, when we choose something, Jeffrey and I spend a year working on it. I mean, I usually type the script so that I can get to know my character and all the other characters. And so it's like a... And then we work all year. Like when, when we were at the school and we started doing Shakespeare, we were, uh, it's so difficult that we found it takes a year. But that's what we like to do is to work on acting. So we have a very big group of actors. Uh, Jeffrey's a teacher, so there's always new people he brings in because we have huge casts. So everyone that did a play at the school is also part of Shakespeare Downtown not just the plays at the castle, which is, this will be our sixth season, but we have some experienced actors who have been doing Shakespeare for 10 years. And then the actor playing Colchon, the bishop, is, was a teacher at Strasbourg, and he's been acting for 40 years. So it's uh, picking these plays, If you know, when we did Hamlet, we have a group of actors, but you, you have to have someone experience that can do it. So we pick things we we're drawn to that 
that we have a passion for. I'm always in the play too. It's something that I really want to do, but I think Jeffrey will agree. We have to love the play. We have to want to spend a year on it and we have to have ideas about who can care, the lead actors who can, you know, who can make this can something. Yeah. That, 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 so that it's an investment for everyone, the audience, for everyone the, it's a wonderful experience. So it can't just be anything. So okay. it's like that. I mean, Jeffrey, if you want to add something, I don't know. Well, one, one of the things that once we decide what play we want to do, one of the my real pleasures about the whole thing is a year before we, well, or eight, at least eight months before we do the play, I will sit down on my days off from teaching and spend a couple of hours uh, long and uh, longhand writing uh, out the play. Of course, if it's a translation, finding the the right way to say Chekhov in English, uh, the way I think we should say it, uh, and it, that's a wonderful part of the work for me. That's the whole beginning of it. So by the time we actually get into rehearsal months later, we really know the play really well. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Uh, and it, that's a that's a that's been a wonderful thing uh, since I don't know how many plays we've done now together ten plays fifteen plays something fifteen plays fifteen plays and so yeah. that, to know fifteen masterpieces and to, to know them really well what a what a luxury that is what a gift that is yeah. and such a smart technique to write it out longhand because that's when you you're thinking about it as you're writing it. Yes. And, and Billy, did I hear you say you type out the script? Yes. I like uh, at one point, you know, Jeffrey would find someone to do it, but then when we were doing the Shakespeare scripts, he likes it. The verse to be like, uh, like how John Barton told him he, he, he wants it broken up to help the actors. I don't know how to explain it properly, but so he wants the script to be um, perfect. And so it's better if, <laughs> Because I understand the actor's needs. So then also for me, it's not just my part, but I want to understand the entire play and the other parts. For Romeo and Juliet, which was my main obsession, our first play, I wrote, I paraphrased the entire play, <laughs> everyone's part, not just my part. But now, uh, you know, I type it and then it's just my part that I write. But if, and the other person in my scene. So it's, it's a, the, the, the long, from the long hand to the typing is a real partnership there. It's a yeah. really good The whole thing is really is. Um, I, I love that. And I'll tell you why. Because uh, as an audience member with Shakespeare, sometimes I don't necessarily understand it because of the the language i feel like there is uh, the actor is saying the line and there is a like a space there where my my mind is trying to figure out how do i translate most of the lines i mean not some of them are very direct and uh, that kind of puts me behind because then the uh, the actor is 
two lines beyond that. Uh, so that is great. And I found that the very, very best uh, um, Shakespeare plays that I've seen are the ones where the actor really, really knows what they're saying and knows via inflection and technique how to get that across. That's when I'm like, okay, I'm getting this. And um, I've seen I've seen plays of Shakespeare plays of the type that I was referring to before, where it's just flowery language that's coming off. And I've seen Shakespeare plays the way you do it, which is what in what in modern times are they actually saying here? I think that's a that is so damn smart that you do that. I know it's a, probably a lot of work, but it's it's so and it's it behooves the audience. It really does. So great job. It is a lot of work, but we have a year to do it, so it's spread out. Right now, um, you know, for the for the sake of our listeners, um, if you don't know what this is, I'm going to talk a little bit about something called table work. Now, table work for the listeners is where the cast comes in and sits down and really read through the the play and they they pick it apart and and really start to analyze it and understand that. I would assume you you do a lot of table work, right? Well, uh, of course, now with the, the Zoom problem with COVID, we've had it's been more difficult to get the actors together. Mm-hmm. Uh, ordinarily, I would like to spend a week around the table. I don't like to use the word analysis <laughs> um, because uh, I can understand what the author is saying, but doesn't mean I can act it necessarily. So I think sometimes some actors and some teachers get so intellectual about it, they analyze it in a way so that we understand all the, you know, why he's saying this and why he's saying that. But to live it is another thing. And to help the actors try to find a way to live the part, well, I would say I would spend most of the time around the table doing that. Yeah. Wow. Now, Jeffrey, do you find that if there's too much analysis, then there's just far too many options for like, let's say how to say a line or to deliver a a speech inside of the actor's head, as opposed to just, just landing on one or, 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 or keeping it genuine. Um, am I asking that question correctly? Yes. Uh, I, I saw, uh, I, a, a Shakespeare workshop that Mark Rylance did at the actor's studio a couple of years ago. It was so impressive. He's such a wonderful actor. And uh, uh, he speaks about Shakespeare beautifully and very simply and very easily. Um, It's wonderful to hear him talk about it. It was a really wonderful experience, his workshop. It was just a day. and It couldn't have been better. Uh, The best I've ever heard uh, anything about Shakespeare. Anyway, um, so he doesn't analyze it so much when he talks about it. He's a very spiritually inclined person, Mark Rylance is, and he finds his own way. It's not the method, but he finds his own way of living it uh, so that he's living the exact moment of the words that he's saying. And if you watch him, you can see him on YouTube a lot if you've never seen him uh, do Shakespeare uh, on the stage. and You can see it. You can watch him. You can see he's living the line as he speaks it. Yeah. So yeah. it's not analysis that's going to help him do that. It's some connection he feels with the, the lines, the words themselves. Wow. Uh, you know, Mark Rylance is a great actor. I've seen great. him 
in uh, on TV, uh, in the movies, and I've seen him on stage. And you could tell that he really does have a quality of being present and right there and, and connected to the moment that he's in when Absolutely. he's acting. Absolutely, yeah. yes. Yeah. He's, there's a reason why he wins Tonys and Oscars and things like that, because he's, he's, <laughs> yes. he's really good. Yeah, he's, yes, he's he one is. Of our, one of our better uh, uh, modern actors. Um, now, you're doing such a great service to theater patrons by bringing no-cost theater to them. What, what inspired that objective? Um, well, when I was thinking of a theater company and then I, I saw um, Castle Clinton, um, I, I had not really known about uh, Joe Papp before that because we had our own theater company at the school and so there was no outside influence for me other than the work that I had been already doing with my husband and you know Lee Strasberg is another person I never got to meet but that I that I would, he and Joe Papp would be the two people I would most want to meet but uh, when I saw the space uh, and I knew how perfect it was you know, it's not hard to think of Shakespeare in the park or whatever. It, it never even occurred to me that we would charge people. And, you know, uh, my own personal life, I come from a, a very difficult background, very. And, um, you know, acting changed everything for me. It's really, it is a spiritual calling for me, really it is. And I knew it from the first moment, even though I didn't know anything. And I wasn't, I had, my sensitivity was maybe my, the only thing that I had that was maybe a gift. Everything else I had to learn. I had no natural gifts. Uh, and so I, the company, the mission to encourage an interest in classical theater is very general and broad, but it, 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 it saved me from really like a life of despair. And so I think for other people to, to be able to experience something, uh, even we have these wonderful interns, they formed a production company and made a film afterwards. You know, everyone that is involved would be great if it's they're touched in some way. There, there are people, many, so many people who are troubled, you know, and the arts, are for them. So it's really not about, you know, charging people or making money. You know, I, I work all year to raise the money. So it was not anything like that. It was just, a, it was automatic somehow. I really, I never even thought of it. Wow. That's great. Uh, it's such a, a great service to really bring the theater to, to people. I mean, and to, to extend that. So people who maybe, don't have a lot of money can can come and see a show. It's 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 wonderful. It, it really touches my heart that you do this. I think it's great. And uh, Billy, I wanted to say that um, I love your story about how you sort of when you found theater that just that spark just went off in your brain. That mm -hmm. oh wow, this is for me. Um, yesterday I interviewed a young lady in her twenties, very very smart young lady named named Jessica Harris, and she is she has put together in Virginia this program for young kids who wouldn't necessarily have the resources. I mean, the theater is not a big resource for them in this small town she lives in. And 
she has brought these kids in and she talked about that moment where it's like you could just see, okay, that's somebody who needs theater, mm-hmm. who needs to be a theater. Whatever the reason is, maybe it could be an emotional reason. It could just be, you know, they just want to perform or uh, mm-hmm. they want to be seen. And so that's, that is a really, really wonderful, beautiful answer for that. And I, I want you to know that I, I totally appreciate uh, uh, both of your feelings about that. So, um, but you do, you do accept donations for your company, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, we are a nonprofit and we, the play is actually quite expensive. So we, we are very grateful to everyone who, who uh, donates to the company. Cool. So anybody listening to this and we'll recap on this with social media information, mm-hmm. go on and donate to this wonderful company. They're doing these wonderful full cast plays and um, it would be such a great service to them. So cool. Um, talk about your production process. What's, I mean, I know that you said you spend a year or so working on the script. You talk about typing it out and, and uh, I'm not going to say analyzing, looking <laughs> at it, feeling it, getting, getting the actors to their places. What do you do once you get to the physical production? How does that work? Jeffrey, Is that my question? Yeah, that's your question. <laughs> right. That's your question, Jeffrey. Go for All it. right. Uh, well, tonight we're having our first in-person reading of the play. Uh, although a couple of people won't be there. Uh, one person's in L.A. and one person's in London. So they're going to zoom in uh, to the first reading. So... Um, uh, and one of the parts is a big part. Uh, well, um, how do I start? The first reading, I don't want people to act. I want people just to talk. I want people to listen to each other. Uh, uh, there's a lot of long speeches in the play. And there's a tendency that actors have is to follow the script. While you're talking, they're looking at your lines instead of listening to you say them. And so to try to get people to do that, to listen... Uh, because that's really the best first rehearsal, talking and listening. Uh, if you don't, Robert De Niro said, listening may be the most important part of acting, to be able to listen. And he's a good listener. You can see that in his acting. Um, uh, and uh, ideally, we would spend more time around the table, but we can't uh, because of uh, the, the COVID situations and stuff. But sure. ideally, it would be a week that we spend around the table uh, doing one scene at a time. It's a six-scene play. One of the, the last scene is very long. Most of them are not that long. Most of them are 20 minutes long. And uh, just go over each scene. Uh, as, a, as a director, I never think of myself really as a director, that I'm an acting teacher, but um, Billy decided that I should direct, so I'm directing now. He told me he wanted to be a director. He should never have told me that. Well, I said I wanted to. I didn't say I was going to be. Anyway, well, now I am. I'm a little bit like Joan. If you say it, then it's going to happen. <laughs> um, so so um, because I'm not uh, intellectually inclined, I don't have a great brain. Uh, and I'm sure many people have a much better understanding of the play than I do. I try to get the most I can from the actors that I have. So instead of trying to impose my will on, uh, on, a, on an actor to say, this is how you should play the part, I try to get rid of all the shoulds. Should uh, is a dirty word in the English language, I think. Uh, we hear way too much of should. Uh, 
and to, to try to get the most out of the actor that I have instead of uh, imposing on him some ideas that I have. Yeah? And I think that's basically the way I work with the actors. Of course, once we get to the, uh, we won't get to the actual space itself until June, June what, 12th, something like that, June 12th. And so then we have to start staging it. Uh, we'll, have, we'll have staged some of it, but very loosely staged because we're not in the proper space. And it's quite a big space. The, the stage itself is quite large. Uh, and uh, so then that'll be a, a new adventure. How is it going to work in this place? Yeah, It worked fine around the table. Now we have to put it on its feet in front of a what will become an audience. And how do we do that? How do we make it happen? And instead of having decided ahead of time, I like to see what the actors are going to do with it. And then they will tell me how to do the play, how to stage the play. That's my ideal way of working. Wow, that's great. Um, I've seen directors do that. They want to get the um, organic physicality of, of what the actor's doing on stage. You know, it feels right to do this. It feels right to do that. So I, I think that's... Uh, especially in something like Shakespeare where there's so many people on stage, let them look at each other and figure out where somebody is, is and where it feels most comfortable to approach them and, and how. Uh, so I, I've seen, I've also seen directors who have been very um, stringent about what they want yeah. you to do and where they want you to be. And a lot of that, a lot of that has to do with like safety and things like that. So, uh, and I would imagine uh, Jeffrey that you, you know, you, you see what they, what's natural to them and probably form that based upon that. Is, is that something you do? That, that sounds about right. Yes. That sounds oh, okay. about right. There is a, a, a basic uh, idea, a thought about what the play is about, how I see the play, what it's about, which I'm not going to reveal because uh, I don't want to tell the actors this is what it's about. Uh, but I, this is how I see it in a very simple uh like a question form. What is a question that describes this play? And that basically the staging and the life on the stage is uh, derived from that one question, uh, whatever the question might be. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's um, like cryptic in a great way. <laughs> I want to say something about like uh, what it's like as an actress to work with Jeffrey and like, uh, because we've done so many plays together, but whatever his idea about the play, he doesn't tell me either, you know, which is, it should be. And uh, my personal choice is I do not tell him you should never, those are your secrets, but he, he guides actors uh, along the way. And so you're doing something and then here and there, he'll give you a note. And then that's when you know, you're really working with someone that's great. Is that they give you something that unlocks part of, the part for you that you can do. Now, a, a lot of people who are not very experienced, they give notes that make you feel closed off or resistant. It's not any good. If someone can see into your soul and give you the way, point you in the right direction, you you feel alive. And you, it's a, I mean, for me, it's like a form of ecstasy to find the alive truth in it. And so then he will guide all the actors into his vision, but it's such a slight touch 
that it's 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 um but he will say if you're going in the wrong direction but it's this wonderful feeling and so every actor keeps their unique wonderful gifts when they work with him in their own physical life so it's he he steers us but the the, the greatest thing for i think uh and my sister is actually the set and costume designer and she used to work for peter marino he's the, one of the most famous interior designers in the world. She has the same touch as a designer. They both work so that it seems as if no one was, no one was doing it. So the costumes are like clothes, and my husband's direction is like as if there was no director, which is the be- it, the audience. They don't feel it. They don't feel his heavy handed. There's no heavy handedness. So it's it's this it's a tremendously great experience. Yeah, it's it's. If a, I think if a director is saying, "Well, say it like this," it's it's much more different than the director saying, uh, "Think of your relationship in in these terms," and and just kind of without telling him telling the actor exactly what to do, because then the actor thinks about it and they they connect their own mind to it, mm-hmm. and it's it's less it's less mimicry. And more, uh, Jeffrey, what you were talking about, which is uh, that that very genuine, authentic, organic, organic experience that comes from within with the actor. So I think that's that's awesome. I was so, very lucky, yeah. my um, Sean. My very first audition in New York was for Kazan. My very first one, and it was he who had steered me to Lee Strasberg, and I auditioned for him four times, I think. And I was never cast. Well, the one time I was cast, but the play was never done. Uh, Richard Burton was going to do King Lear, but then he backed out of it. Uh, but uh, uh, he would say the simplest things to you, uh, but very little, hardly anything, two or three words. And he would somehow set off some uh, explosion in you uh, without no, very little to say, no analysis, no discussion about what Freud would have said about the part, nothing like that, just some simple thing, you know. Um, like he said one thing, I can't quote it exactly because it's really coarse what he said, really vulgar, but it had to do with my mother. And it just struck me like, boom, that's it. I got it. Yeah. And then when I did this, the scene again for him, the yeah, scene was really good. It was just a simple little thing, something about my mother, he said, and I got it. Yeah. And probably he was just thinking about his own mother because he was he dealt very personally when he was working with actors. Not fancy, not intellectual, not really smart. He was smart, but he wasn't trying to be smart. I, I was very lucky that way to be exposed to people like that at the very beginning of my career, so to speak, here in New York. Now that's Ilya Kazan, the director. Yes, right? indeed. Yes, okay. indeed. For yes. those for those of uh, of my listeners who wondering who Kazam was that's that's who that is and uh he, oh yeah he's he's a master he really is absolutely. he i mean he yeah absolutely okay so this sounds like a great place for my fangirl question <laughs> I, I saw that you had i want to say assistant directed with mike nichols uh-huh Okay. Yes. Mike Nichols is my very favorite director ah. ever. I'm so sorry that he's gone, but I love his movies. I love his plays. What what was that like working with him? Well, uh, have you read the biography, Mark Harris's biography? 
I've I've read uh, excerpts from it. It's really good. It's wonderful. So Mike and I were in acting class together, uh, in Lee Strasberg's acting class together. That's when I met him. So he was a couple of years older than I am, I think, or maybe a year older. Um, and he was extremely intelligent. He'd been to the University of Chicago. He was very bright. His best friend was Susan Sontag. I mean, he was so smart. Uh, uh, troubled. He was poor when I knew him, actually, um, here in New York. Uh, I had some wonderful memories of that. Uh, and over the years, I auditioned for him once for a play. Didn't get it. Um, it was for Barefoot in the Park. Um, and I would see him from time to time, but we were not close friends. And his world, the world, he, you know, he was having a, world, a, a life with, with uh, Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton. That's the people that he hung out with. And so I lived in a considerably different world than that. Um, and then I can't remember when it was, but it was sometime we were, uh, he was living in California and so was I. And he was going, he was working on some movie and he was going to do Catch-22. And uh, he wanted to cast all his old friends. And so he told me what part he wanted me to do. And then he realized he was thinking of me as I was when I was 20 years earlier. <laughs> he was thinking of me like uh, when I was 25, not for whatever age I was at this point, 35 at least. And so he said, oops, made a mistake there. Can't be in it. So the part that he thought I was right for was the part that Arthur Garfunkel did in, in Catch-22. Uh -huh. uh, anyway, and so uh, he said, um, well, I want you to work on the movie. I don't know what you'll do. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah. And so uh, I was assistant to the director. I wasn't an assistant director. I was his assistant. And he said, I said, what do you want me to do? He said, I don't know, whatever needs to be done. So I invented the job. And it was mostly working with the actors, making sure they knew their lines, making sure they were behaving themselves. Uh, wonderful experience. Alan Arkin uh, and I became good friends. He's a wonderful actor. Oh, yeah. And uh, it was a wonderful experience working with him. Wonderful experience. I was very sad, yes, when he died. In fact, I communicated with him, and I don't know why, Shortly before he died, he said, oh, when I come back from my mother-in-law's funeral, I will get together. We will eat and reminisce. Mike was a poster boy for unhealthy eating. And, uh, <laughs> uh, he's, and, uh, but um, unfortunately, he went to his own funeral when he came back. No. So I, never, I hadn't seen him for a long time. Wow. It was, a, a sad, it was a sad thing. And now you're a director. Yes, you're honoring him by directing, but mostly because of your wife. Now, yes, really, I have absolutely. to say, when I was I was absolutely. thinking of something that I that happens. This is like a personal sidebar. Uh -huh. Sorry about that, but it no, kind of. No, I me. like it. It's. Um, I will often say to my husband, "Let's not say it and not do it." 
because he'll be like, oh, I want to do that. And I thought it would be great. So one of these days I went, let's not say it and not do it. So you got to be careful in marriage with things like it. Of course, with him, it's usually like, oh, I thought about maybe baking you a chocolate cake today. And I did. Like, let's not say it and not do it. So, so, you know, what? I, but I think, I think if you, I think like subliminally, maybe you were like, you were like saying, oh, I kind of want to be a director. And she picked up on it and pushed you into it. Billy, do you feel that that's kind of a little bit about what was happening or no? Yes. Well, no. I mean, I mean, I, I think when someone tells you something, they reveal something to you like that. It's not without a reason. Why would you say it? You know, and, and our whole marriage, we both love acting. Um, and so we, we spend every day working on acting. He taught me to act, but uh, it was a natural thing. But in terms of like a like sort of like a, a personal thing, like my father was a, uh, a beautiful man, but he was extremely troubled. He was uh, abused emotionally, sexually, every way, and he he never uh, was able to overcome that. And. He even, he died in a mental institution. And so he developed schizophrenia in middle age. And I loved my father. We were very close. And so I have this thing about um, people who are very gifted, who don't use their talents or reach their potential. And it is a, an obsession with me, not, not only for myself, but with other people, particularly men. <laughs> and so... When I feel that in someone and, and see someone with great gifts that are not using it, I can't really ever let it go. And so now it's not just with my husband. We have a company of men with a lot of problems that I'm always uh, – people with real talent. And so I and, – and, and like I, in some ways, like in Joan, I, I feel that God punishes you if you don't use your talent and, and – uh, I really do. And so uh, it's it's sort of like this obsession. So when he said it, there was really no way that we were not going to be doing this. <laughs> I think it's cute. I do. I think it's cute that you're like, okay, yeah, I know you want to direct. So you're directing this play, and I mean it. I think it's... One, one of the things, Sean, that, that you mentioned Mike, and uh, uh, Mike was, he was extremely intelligent and... Uh, uh, He's he, but the thing that he also was was massively insecure, and I saw that he could be a terrific director even though he was insecure. And really, one of the reasons I never thought about it is I felt very insecure too. I felt very massively insecure, and uh, so when Billy first started suggesting that maybe we should do a play, I said, "No, I can't do it." Oh my! What would Lee Strasberg say? Uh, uh, and but then. I did it, and then I thought, oh, I guess I'm not that insecure after all, although I go through my periods. But Mike would say to me on Catch-22, he would say, Jeffrey, how did David Lean do it? I don't know how to do it. What am I doing? I don't know what to do it. And then he would direct it. It would be beautiful. It was just, it was a funny thing with him. And he could direct the Burtons and just carry it off like it was an easy, an easy thing, uh, and yet still be so... I guess what I learned from that is it's okay to, if you are insecure, just do it anyway. Yeah. And, and things usually work themselves out. Yes. 
I think we're all insecure. I was going to say all artists are insecure, but I think everyone's insecure. And Mm -hmm. especially when they're starting something new, but you just, you just do it. You just do it. You just, you know, be as prepared as you can show up for the first day and try your best. And um, usually you succeed like far more than you actually thought, thought that you would. And a lot of it has to do, I think with passion too. And, you two are so passionate about theater. I can just tell like you eat, sleep and breathe it. And um, you're just such, such wonderful leaders to this, to this company that, uh, that I think that that really, that kind of thing really rubs off on the people that you're working with. I, I think. And, and so of course be insecure. And I mean, at one point I told myself, I think I could do a podcast and here I am doing it. <laughs> or I think I could so write a play. there you go. Yes, absolutely. I think I could write a play. Why not? It's just, a lot of it is what's that, that saying, faking it till you make it or whatever. So, I love what I you think, said. You just show up. Just show up. That's it. <laughs> yeah, if you don't show up, if, if you don't show up, then you're definitely not going to do it. So That's right. Sh- show up and give it a shot and, you know, be kind and professional and people will rally around you and help you if you need some help. Yeah. I, I think that's hopefully worked for me and hopefully I've been kind of professional. So, um, what are some of the challenges that you face in producing this type of theater and, and how do you overcome those challenges? How can people help you outside of the theater? How can people help you to overcome those challenges? Like say if they're financially or like uh, physically you need certain things. Talk about that. Well, um, producing uh, the play at the castle or really, you know, starting any kind of a theater, you know, I'm an actress, I had no background in any of it. So it was, it was so difficult. Like if you're not consumed by it, it's impossible. I do nothing else. Like it's a every day, not taking a day off. I mean, you raise the money, like what, what would be ideal is like what we're trying to do. And as you see, we have Jeffrey, who's a great director. So the play is something beautiful. It's a wonderful experience. The battery is wonderful. You know, I I would like it to be like a like the new Shakespeare in the Park, something that people would want to come to. Like it would be not because uh, oh I should, but like they want to come. Like they want to have the experience, and so that. If they come to the play, would be ideal. If people want to donate, uh, I, what I would love is it that it would come naturally, like something we're we, Jeffrey and I have devoted our lives to giving this gift to New York City uh, and all of his wonderful experience in the theater with like sixty years with working with the best people, and I've devoted really every moment of my life to, to acting, so that if we give this to people that they would want to come and, and then if they're, if they like it, they want to donate so that we can make it better. We can, we can do more. We can. And so it's really like that. Like, you know, I have this thing, uh, all those old time actresses like Eleanor Duza, Sarah Bernhardt, all these wonderful, I love those old actresses. And, when they did the theater, everyone wanted to go. Eleanor Duza, she did a play at the Met, the old Met, and it was filled. The house was filled. That's what I would love. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> so everybody go, go see the show. And of course, donate, 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 donate. It's, that's, that's a great way to help. It really is. But you could do both. Somebody could do both. They can go to the show and they can make a donation too. Sorry, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not letting the listeners off the hook there. So mm-hmm. there you go, listeners. That's, that's me doing tough love. Um, talk about a fun story. Uh, tell a fun story about performing the show, um, like a, an actual performance and uh, uh, something that happened that was just really fun or funny or interesting. We, we performing outdoor next to the Hudson River. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, there's, there's like, uh, it's not like it's, uh, it's, it, Julia was, it's, it's not really a fun story. Fun's not really my strong suit. <laughs> but, <laughs> Uh, it was this obsession that I had, uh, the part that I loved more than any part, and I played a lot of great parts of Juliet. I loved Juliet. It's not something that I ever knew that I would love, but once you do it, the part, like Harold Bloom said about Juliet, Juliet is perfection. It's true. It's true. And so uh, we had done the play at the school, and then it took, we did a lot more plays. It took three years to make the castle happen, but my obsession came out of wanting to do Juliet again and to, to, because I had then had Shakespeare training. And it was, we, we worked on Juliet for seven years, every single day, every day. I did not take a day off and I would love to do it again. It's this obsession. So like when we were finally at the castle, I had already done the play at the school indoors in their theater, but Juliet talks to the sun and to the moon and uh, to fortune. And so to stand on the stage and really talk uh, today and tonight and everything. uh, And the way Jeffrey teaches us is that when we have a, a speech in Shakespeare, we talk directly to the audience so that they are part of the play. We include them. Uh, Mark Ryland said he learned how he, I, Jeffrey, I don't know, you can help. He, he started where he would talk to them, talk at them, but then he eventually learned to talk with them. Now, mm. I haven't learned. He's a genius. So it's, but, so when I was finally out there and we wear period costumes, you know, Elizabethan costumes, out there talking to everything, I mean, it was, and the wind is blowing while on the Gallop of Pace speech, I mean, and Jeffrey, we use some classical music here and there. It was, um, there's really no way to put into words how great that experience was. So you just had this, like all of a sudden it all hit you and you just had this moment like, wow, this is, this is the reason why. This is it, the feeling of the reason why. It's not like it was a moment because um, it was just like when you, you know, we take all of this very seriously, but when you are outdoors and you really are talking to the sun and to the moon, and it's it's very different. It, it's just, it, it, it's hard to explain, but when you're in the theater, it's actually easier to act indoors. You have like a, a cocoon around you right. and the light, it, 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 you, you don't, it's, it's more protective. But when you're outdoors, um, like the way that it was done in Shakespeare's time, you know, in the open air, it's a tremendous experience. And the audience seems to 
they love to be there because we go out after the play. We're, we're, you know, we, we talk to them, you know, when we're, you know, we take down the theater every night. They, they love this. They love to be, I mean, he wrote the plays that way. And so it works, you know, it's a, so it was, it's hard to explain, but it's a, it's, it's, it's really a tremendous experience. I think that environment really plays a lot in theater. Um, I, I always say, like, when you're going to a show, the best thing that I think that the, the the creative team can do is do something like with the lobby or something. Get get the audience in the mindset of the show. So I, I totally agree with that. And also, um, uh, my husband was in a production of uh, the play Stupid Fucking Bird, and I'm sure you're familiar with that play. Yeah. And um, yes. and it was done at a gallery in Long Island City. And about, I don't know, a third of the way through the, it's a three-act play, the first act, um, the uh, lead character went over. And in this gallery where they were performing the play, they had like a, a freight door where they loaded their art in and out. Uh, the lead actor went over and threw open this door and propped it open and they did the rest of act one with that door open and it made a huge difference. I mean, the director scheduled the play so that it would be at, at, you know, sundown when the sun was, I mean, so it, it just, it totally adds to it. And then the second act, they actually did the whole thing inside of their, oh. the, uh, the gallery's kitchen. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, you know, it, it really just, it brings out the creativity. No. Yeah. Don't you think? Yes, yes. absolutely. Uh, yes, absolutely. the space is, uh, it changes absolutely. the play. Very, very, very cool. Okay, we're almost done. Um, but before we go, if you could have three wishes for Shakespeare downtown, what would they be? Um, well, I suppose uh, I would like it to be like the new Shakespeare in the Park um, for lower Manhattan. Um, nice. And uh, I, I think, um, like I said, our, our mission statement is, you know, to encourage an interest in classical theater. But, like, if people, the people involved, the actors, the tech crew, the interns, the audience, if it was able to open up something in people's lives for them where they found some meaning, like I had gave my life meaning, that would be it. And then I suppose, like, the third thing would be like um, if it could be um, become the play is like an event like Sarah Bernhard and Eleanor Duzet. <laughs> that would be, uh, you know, like the theater became the thing to do, you know, don't want to miss it. I mean, if, if you're giving me any wishes that I would want, these are the wishes. Okay, Jeffrey, we're going to give you one wish. We'll we'll increase the wish uh, quota to four. So one what's wish. Your wish? I, I I have only one wish. That's that uh, Billy finds an assistant who could do some of the heavy lifting <laughs> for her, because she has too much to do. It's too hard. Her job is too hard. Yeah? That's the only thing. That's nothing else. Everything else would be much. Maybe just fine. Hmm? Wow. I love that. That's great. And by the way, Billy, I think you're super fun. You've been super fun <laughs> in this interview. Don't 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 sell yourself short when it comes to fun. You're you are charming. Well, you're both charming. 
<laughs> but I was addressing that to to you, Billy. Um, okay, before we go, can you please give our audience your social media information so they can keep up with your company? If there's one place that they can go, like a website that connects them to all the social mm-hmm. media, uh, that would be great to mention. Um, our website is shakespeardowntown.org. And then if you want to donate, there's a, a, a on the top, you can easily see how to donate. And then uh, we have a Facebook page, Shakespeare Downtown, and Instagram is also Shakespeare Downtown. And we announce, you know, the upcoming dates and everything on all of our social media for the play. That's great. I love your website, by the way. Oh, thank you. You have, you have clips on the website of yes. various portions of the show, so which is great because I – Remember, I had I had some questions in my mind of what mm-hmm. the experience was like, and it really gives a good representation of that experience. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, props to you on on your website and social media. Very, very cool. Billy and Jeffrey, thank you so much for being on the show. I have so loved this conversation. Huh. Uh, you're both really, really dedicated, um, committed artists, and and generous, and so generous and. You really do, in my opinion, embody what it means to to say theater is for everyone. It's for everyone to see, to to try, to uh, enjoy, to act in, to direct in, and um, it, and you're you're actually living that message. And I think it's really really cool. So. Thank you so much for being on your program as your ticket. Break a leg tonight at the reading and with the thank, show. Thank you so much, Sean. Us. Thank you so thank much you. for having Great. us. It's, it's been my pleasure. Thank you. Well, folks, the 11 o'clock number has been sung and the bows have been taken. So it's time to lower the curtain. Once again, a big thanks to Billy Anderson and Jeffrey Horn of Shakespeare Downtown. They were awesome. You can find more episodes of your program as your ticket on the Broadway Podcast Network who has honored me with a place on their incredible theater podcast platform. Broadway Podcast Network is all about creating an engaging, immersive, user-friendly experience where theater stories of all kinds can be easily found, shared, and enjoyed. Please visit them on my landing page at bpn.fm slash ypiyt. Again, that's bpn.fm slash ypiyt. Your Program Is Your Ticket is also on Facebook at facebook.com, Your Program Is Your Ticket, Twitter at at Program Ticket, Instagram at Your Program Is Your Ticket, YouTube at Your Program Is Your Ticket, iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, Podcast Addict, Podbean, Pocket Gasts, Deezer, TuneIn, Listen Notes, and the UK-based theater platform Thespy. FYI, I appreciate all good ratings, reviews, and subscriptions. Another quick note of thanks to the Communicator Awards for honoring your program issue ticket with four awards. An award of excellence for individual episodes in the arts and culture category, and three awards of distinction. Two for my Act Two Places series, one in the entertainment category, and one in the educational category. And one more for me in the features host category. I'm extremely grateful for the honor and owe it all to my wonderful guests, listeners, and my Broadway Podcast Network family. Folks, take a little time to visit theater websites and see what they have to offer. Give them all great ratings and reviews, and most importantly, donate, donate, donate. It's the fastest way you can help them. As always, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. And remember, theater is for everyone.
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply.